Before we start today, I want to introduce a new sponsor to the podcast, Certified Site Safety. This is a company that I am proud to recommend for patients of mine and anyone else seeking help in evaluating mold and other toxins that might be present in their home. If you've listened to a prior podcast of mine, Is Your Home Killing You?, you know that I interviewed Joe Reese, who is a true mold detective. Joe evaluates homes and has saved many of my patients from toxins in their home by evaluating them and teaching them how to remedy it. If you see or smell any effects of water damage in your home, Joe and his team at the Certified Site Safety are the team that you want. Their website is www.certifiedsitesafety.com. And Joe welcomes calls to even his cell phone, 914-437-5454. So many of us don't know where to turn when our home is making us sick. Now you know. Please contact Certified Site Safety, and Joe will help organize his team to remedy your problem. Welcome, everyone, to The Smartest Doctor in the Room. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Mitchell. Today, I'm going to discuss how to get the most from your doctor visit. Another name I thought of using for this was how to be a good patient. And you might think that's kind of silly. Like, why do I have to be a good patient? Well, it's really all about getting the most when you're spending your time with your doctor. Now, in my practice in New York City, I see a lot of complex medical cases where a patient who typically has seen 10 or more doctors before they've even come through my door. So you can imagine that these patients have a lot of medical records. I look at my job as a medical detective and trying to figure out what may have been overlooked in their medical problem. And this involves getting a good old fashioned medical history, which I was trained in and so were all my colleagues. But it's so important just seeing how the story you know, evolves and unwinds. And then ultimately, I will review their medical records. But it's really that face-to-face, or in today's world, Zoom-to-Zoom, that I try to really read that patient to see what's going on with them. In today's episode, I'm going to go through the do's and the don'ts uh, of making the most of your doctor's visit. Because I want your time with your doctor to be beneficial and not wasteful. So let's start with the pre-registration forms. Now, I know everyone, including myself, when I go to another doctor's office, I, I take a deep sigh when I see all the paperwork they want me to fill out before I could actually ever you know, get through the door to see the doctor. I believe that the patient registration form, the history forms, need to be really thoughtful on both sides. For example, in my office, my history is only about three pages long, which I think by typical medical office standards is is fairly brief, but it's enough to get all of the key questions that I want to make sure get written down in case somebody gets nervous and forgets to mention it to me. It's very targeted. It does have still a lot of the key factors that go into a good medical history, like family history, social history, medications, all of those things. But I don't want to overwhelm the patient with a zillion questions. And 
this way, when we get down to listening to their story, I can focus on everything they're saying and yet know that some of the key things are in there in case they forget. And likewise, as I mentioned, I think it's inappropriate for a doctor's office to give a patient a 20-page questionnaire with a zillion boxes to fill out so that they're fatigued by the time they go in to see the doctor and maybe possibly overwhelmed. On the other hand, and this is, I think, really important what this podcast is about, just as the doctor really, I think, has a responsibility to organize and target his questions for the patient's benefit, I also feel that patients need to do the same. I think a patient, to get the most out of their doctor's visit, should organize their concerns, uh, what they hope to get out of the visit, any really key relevant medical information on one page. That's really enough to get the dialogue started between uh, you and your physician. And by that, I mean, including any also recent lab work, any recent radiology studies like MRIs or CAT scans, and any other key doctor summaries from another physician. But I don't think it's beneficial when a patient comes in, especially even the first time, with a 50-page binder of all of their medical reports that will never really be covered in that visit. And you don't want your doctor just sitting there thumbing through those 50 pages when he could be focusing on you and what your major concerns are uh, and what you're hoping to get out of the visit. So those are what my thoughts on you know, the two responsibilities of the patient and the doctor in getting the most out of um, the medical visit. Let's start also with the medical history. And typically, when I've had that patient fill out the three-page form in my office, and I'm looking at it as I'm talking to them, but I'm glancing up and back and forth most of the time because I really want to gauge what the patient's concerns are. And, you know, the medical history is basically a sacred bond between the patient and the doctor. And I feel privileged to be able to be in that room with my patients, to be there for them and listen really carefully to hopefully glean what might be an important clue to their condition. And the medical history goes back in time to Hippocrates and all of the great physicians from time, Sir William Osler. These are all obviously the giants of medicine, but they knew the importance of a detailed history. And I do think because I believe in technology. I do believe one day, hopefully in the near future, artificial intelligence will be in an excellent auxiliary aid to refining the medical history. Meaning, if I'm in the room with somebody and taking all their history or we feed some of their registration um, forms into the AI, that it will glean all of that information and maybe come up with some key relevant diagnoses that should be uh, explored. But I don't think anything will ever take the place of this human-to-human interaction where, like in my case, I'm listening to the patient and I'm following the story. The story can tell you a lot. And that's why, again, I think it's so important that the patient be organized and that the doctor lead them carefully through their history so possibly some key clues to their diagnosis uh, will come through. I even sometimes have patients make up a timeline of their illness. And what I mean by that is typically a patient that I see, even if they're in their 30s or 40s, 
or 50s, uh, I'll start the conversation by saying, take me back to when you were healthy, you know, if it was in your teens or your 20s, and then when did things change? And that to me is a really good starting point because you want to have a baseline and you want to know if the patient was well before previous time and what may have changed. You know, either that can involve some type of infection that they got when they were traveling. It could be physical trauma, like an accident. It could be something, unfortunately, a huge stressful event by loss of a a family member. So all of these things do play a role because an emotional stress all are a factor in medical illnesses. And we all know that today. I also think it's really important and it gets, it gets forgotten a lot are some of the other elements of the medical history. I mean, they're sort of just like on there that you know people routinely put down, the doctors barely glance at. But I think family history is extremely important. You know, knowing a little bit about what your parents or your siblings have as far as medical issues is really important to you and your doctor. And why is that? Because no matter how sophisticated we get with 23andMe, and all the genetic testing, which will be pretty impressive, I think, in the next few years, we still have our living genetic history when we know what's going on with our parents. And I know that from my own family. I know I'm a lot like my mom. And, you know, so whenever something pops up in my life, I'll say to her, oh, you know, I have this issue. She goes, ah, I had that, you know, 10 years ago. So you'd be amazed how many things that from at least one of your parents you might be prone to. And and that doesn't mean you have to take a defeatist attitude. It's just to be aware of it. And this way you can quickly seize any issue that comes up and, you know, and take care of it with your doctor. And for example, we know, unfortunately, like autoimmune diseases, like Hashimoto's thyroid disease, celiac disease, a lot of these run in families, as does allergies. You know, that's typically, again, also what I'll see in my office and It's not unusual that at least one of the parents of a child that has allergies is allergic. So again, I think hopefully doctors will bring it up, but if not, you should bring it up. And and again, in your concerns and being proactive in that, you know, you go in for your, you know, either whether it's your annual physical or you're having a medical problem and, you know, you're discussing obviously a lot about yourself, but then say, you know, doc, I think it might be important. You know, my, you know, I have a... My father had, you know, a heart condition, you know, when he was in his 50s or 60s. Or I have a brother or sister that also has a kidney problem. I think that gets the doctor's antenna up and he'll also he'll shape his thinking, not in a biased way, but in a complete thorough way. So that's something that's important. The other important area of the history, which again, sometimes really, you know, gets ignored or not given a lot of consideration is the social history. You know, it's not as hardcore or sexy as, you know, looking at an MRI or a CAT scan. But to me, the social history tells me a lot about the patient's living situation. You know, does that patient have a support system? You know, one of the classic studies was once done years ago. uh, It was called the Almeida County. That's in California. This was a study done in Almeida County, California, where they followed, I think for over a decade, people uh, in the study. And essentially they had were asked eight questions and they were looked at this. And one of the questions was, do you have somebody that could take you to the hospital in case of an emergency? And it's kind of an interesting question because you say, well, what's the difference? I mean, I could always call 911. But what they found was a lot of these people that lived longer and healthier lives, 
did have somebody that they, they could reach out to in case of an emergency. And this correlated into a longer, healthier life. And I think that, you know, again, I'm always looking at when I see somebody like in my practice with fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue, I want to know, do they have somebody that's available to them as uh, an emotional support and also hopefully in doing everyday chores or activities, you know, to make their life worthwhile. And of course, too, we're finding out more and more people that age well and live healthier uh, lives have strong social support, which doesn't necessarily have to be family, even if they play in a card game every week or they go golfing every week, that they have friends and people that they're interacting with. You know, and of course, in the social history, you know, very carefully, I have to discern is alcohol or recreational drugs or anything else that might be detrimental to their health should be taken into account for because we definitely know that the, the nervous system and the immune system are very closely connected and definitely have a, an impact on your health. Another area that was never originally included in uh, the medical history when I was in medical training 35 years ago but it's something that I have on my registration form is sleep. Now today, world-class athletes, for example, are obsessed with good sound sleep. So why shouldn't all of us? We all pretty much know that when you don't get a good night's sleep, we're irritable, our pain can be worse. So this needs to be addressed, just like a high cholesterol. Uh, so I ask patients, you know, how often do you sleep? Do you, is it a restful sleep? And if it's not, we have to address that. It's not just something like, oh, you know, just live with it. And it doesn't mean they necessarily have to be on strong medications. You know, there's just a lot of what they call sleep hygiene, which has to be addressed and find out also why they're not being able to sleep. You know, sometimes again, in an elderly person, their melatonin levels go down and a lot of, you know, experts recommend that they supplement, you know, carefully with low dose melatonin to help. Uh, them fall asleep. If it's somebody that's got some type of anxiety issue or a lot of stress, then that also they have to figure out ways, you know, that doesn't really necessarily require medication to calm the mind before they go to bed because good sleep regenerates all your brain cells and cells within your body. So, it, you know, it's really extremely important. Let's talk about something really interesting also. Should you bring a friend or a family member to your doctor's visit. Overall, I'm very encouraging when a patient wants to bring someone along to support their medical visit. Now, I understand because a lot of times patients are really nervous. They're not feeling well. And hopefully this other person can be what I call an extra set of eyes and ears so that they're listening to what the doctor is recommending. So again, on one hand, I think there's a lot of benefit if you're fortunate enough to bring a, a close friend or family member to the medical visit. On the other hand, I think that you, that you walk a fine line. I think that that person has to be a, a quiet, what's the right word, interlocutioner. Very you know, quiet, listening, as I said, being that other set of eyes and ears and not dominating this patient's visit by interjecting or correcting what the patient's saying, because I think the bond between the doctor and the patient is so critical and that the patient is feeling that they're being heard and the doctor can really zero in on 
what's going on with the patient and not be distracted like he's having to handle an audience of two. I definitely wouldn't recommend more than just one person coming along for the doctor's visit, especially with COVID, but just in general. I think, again, I see, unfortunately, like sometimes it's hard too. I take care of families, you know, uh, again, even if I'm dealing with young children and sometimes they bring along one of the other siblings and then the father's in the room and it gets to be a little bit distracting. So I think these are some important pointers. I also hope that, again, if someone's hopefully, you know, medically competent, that on follow-up visits that the patient comes by themselves. I think once the initial interaction, consultation is made, and the patient has that trust in the doctor that they feel like they're being heard and, and is caring about them, then I think it's better that they, they are by themselves because the extra person is really more a distraction. So that's my two cents about this. Again, doing this for many, many years. And again, I know I, I deal with very complex medical cases. I've dealt with elderly patients. I deal with children, you know, which is what makes my practice so interesting. But this is my take on it. You know, honestly, I, I go fairly frequently to some of my parents' doctor's visits just again to, to be another set of eyes and ears. I'm usually very quiet and listening and, and sort of taking measure of the doctor. Do I think that, you know, they're judgment is in my parents' best interest. And the converse, I do also sometimes go with my 20-something-year-old sons to their medical, if they're going for an initial medical visit and if it's something serious. Uh, Because again, I want to, I'm obviously being a doctor, I want to bring my my experience to that. But again, I'm usually very quiet and just mainly listening. I I think the tricky part is when you're dealing with with teens or 20-somethings who want to be independent, and it's fine, but I I think sometimes it is good if they go with a a parent to a doctor's visit, at least initially, so that um, the whole spectrum of things are laid out there, and and again, that there's that confidence between the doctor and the patient. And then once that relationship is established, then I think it's fine for the you know, that person to go by themselves to the doctor to get the most out of the visit. And again, of course, too, sometimes there are certain private things that they don't want their parents to know about, and the doctor's not going to know unless he has that alone time with the patient. Another thing, clearly, is medications. Now, please be sure to have an accurate of the medications when you go to see your doctor and to fill it out on the forms. It's so important. You know, one of the a doctor's jobs, which he should be good at, is, you know, seeing if there's any medications that could be interacting with each other. What I try to do a lot in my practice when I see the full list of medications patients are taking is to see down the line if we have ways of decreasing or eliminating them, if they do some of the holistic, proactive things that I recommend. Just be aware that if you tell your doctor that you have a red pill that you take for your joint pain, it, it's not going to be very helpful. Doctors don't know colors of the pills. It, you know, with all the generics out there now, so many pills have different colors. It, it's just, you know, really not very valuable. I think also what's very important, and again, I see this a lot in my practice because I have a lot of patients taking a lot of supplements. And I go over it carefully with them, but I ask them to bring a list. I don't, you know, want them guessing and I don't need them bringing in, you know, a a huge bag full of supplements that we're going to sit and waste some of the time just looking at each name. It's good enough to write the name down carefully because again, if I recognize it and I think it's beneficial, I'll, I'll tell them to continue it. If it's something that I think 
I haven't seen any information that shows that it's a value. I may recommend that they stop taking it and save some money. So this again, too, is a, a huge way to get benefit out of time with your doctor. The final part that I'm going to get to, and again, this is like being in Dr. Mitchell's office. After I've heard their whole history really carefully, I asked them the question, which I say to them, I ask every patient pretty much. And I said, I hope they don't feel it's a silly question because I think it's important. I said, what are you hoping I can help you with today? Now, if they say, I want to be cured, I want all of your pain to go away. I respect their feelings, but I tell them we need to focus on some specific areas that need to be addressed. So again, the kind of patients that I see, they tell me, look, Dr. Mitchell, I just, you know, um, I have a lot of stomach issues between diarrhea and constipation, bloating. I say, okay, we can work on that. And here's the specific thing we're going to do. If someone tells me, you know, I have uh, low energy and I'm just, you know, I just don't feel strong. I said, okay, here are some options that, you know, we can use to increase your, uh, what we call mitochondrial support and build up your energy and see if that works. Again, I'll sometimes bring up that I think to them, what I think is a part of their problem, whether it's their sleep and things that we can do to make that better. And then eventually too, I take the time to outline a plan, individual for them, which I write out so that they, when they leave, they have something in their hand that shows what I think is going on and what could potentially help them and what our immediate goals are and hopefully what our long range goals are. So with all of these things I've discussed today, I really hope that you take this into consideration into getting the most out of your doctor's visit. Your time is valuable, your doctor's time is valuable, and if you're gonna get what you want, I think these are the kind of efforts that you have to put in to get the best results. So thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this and stay tuned. And if you have any questions, please reach out and contact me on my Instagram account at the smartest doctor in the room.